0: Heyo, welcome back to the TMBA podcast. Today, we're joined by the boss man all the way from scorching Austin, Texas, so early in the season to be so very hot, boss man. You must be concerned.
1: It's not that hot, and I'm going to Europe, so problem solved. I'm out of here.
0: One of the things we love is receiving voicemails from the listeners, whether they record it on their smartphone and email it to us, or whether they go to tropicalmba.com slash voicemail. Today, Ryan from Texas has a great question about a consideration at the core of any entrepreneurial venture, which is what is the ownership structure and what should the partnership look like? Hey, Ian and Dan. My name is Ryan from Texas, and I'm currently seven months into the development of a consumer-hard product. My problem is I'm at a point where I need someone to partner with who can help me push the needle forward, especially in the areas where I'm lacking. Do you all have any advice or suggestions on where to search for partners and do you believe this should be an in person type quest or a partner I can find online? Thanks for the advice and for all the help over the years. Yeehaw! Ryan, thanks for calling and giving us a chance to talk about this issue that's so critically important and really complicated, actually. There's a lot of different angles to this. So today we're going to talk about five partnership styles that we've personally seen over the years and how they can affect the resulting business. And at the end of the episode, Ryan, we're going to give some tips on how we feel you could go about finding your partner, whether that's online or in person. So Ian, first off, an interesting dichotomy when it comes to partnerships, which is they're pretty polarizing. Like on the one hand, you got people saying a partnership is a sinking ship. They're fraught. And on the other hand, you got companies in the entrepreneurial space like Y Combinator that considers a partnership a core element to a successful business. I don't know. Where do you come down on this?
1: Well, I mean, obviously, I might be a little bit biased because here we are together (laughs) on the microphones, and we have been for a while. But yeah, you're right. Y Combinator, who invests in technology companies, it's a prerequisite for them they recommend that you have a co-founder. There's a lot of different reasons, I think, why they uh, suggest that. I think that that will come out when we start talking about the different types of partnerships that we've seen and some of the reasons why they've been successful and why they haven't been successful. Totally. I
0: think different styles of partnerships lead to different results. And I don't know, we're going to talk about some of our theories and experiences, and we'd love to hear what the audience you know has experienced as well, because look, this is complex. It's not follow this simple steps and you'll have a partner that's going to revolutionize or supercharge your business. It doesn't quite work like that, unfortunately.
1: Yeah. It's not like in a more traditional partnership where you can just go online, find your mate and spend the rest of your life with them. (laughs) It's much more complicated than that. Looks like Ryan's passionate about consumer
0: hard goods products, something we are too. Ryan, share with us your product in the show notes of this one. We'd love to see what you're working on. Maybe you can find a partner in the comments of today's show. One of the things I want to point out before we get into these five partnership styles, Ian, is that there's a lot of reasons that motivate people to seek out a partnership. Ryan's suggesting that you know he has certain shortcomings, certain skills that he lacks that would be great if he had somebody to come on board and help him out with those things. A lot of people partner because they're lonely. A lot of people partner because they're scared. A lot of people partner because they don't have enough money to hire somebody. So there's a lot of different reasons why you know, you bring on partners. I wanted to point out before we get into these partnership styles that there's a lot of things that can address these issues without giving away a major equity portion in your business, right? So just some examples, you could do a joint venture, which is like a short-term project partnership. Honestly, like a lot of partnerships in our space ought to be JVs because a lot of people enter partnerships with a short-term mindset. So why not you know, partner for a limited project where, hey, you do this, I do this, here's how we split the profits, and then see if it leads to something rather than chartering a whole business where you both have these equity portions.
1: Another thing that happens, Dan, is people get into these partnerships because they think that they're lacking experience or expertise. They partner up, they do learn something from their partner, and then they figure out, hey, now that I know this or now that I've kind of been through it once or twice, I can actually do this by myself. I'm not so scared, I'm not so lonely. And then they've ended up giving away a huge portion of their company to someone else. What you need in the beginning might not actually be what you need you know, six, seven years down the road. Another way you can address some of these concerns is you, know, you can find a mentor,
0: which is difficult stuff, right? You can't go to like Mentors Are Us yet and that I know of and sort of post that you want one and then get one. I mean, you have to earn a mentorship. One thing that's a bit easier is a mastermind. You know, you can come to tropicalmba.com and we'll help you find a mastermind through the dynamite circle community if you have an established business. And there's lots of other ways to find a mastermind online as well. That can help to address some of these Concerns about you know having someone to work with on a day to day basis you could even easier Ian is finding an investor nowadays it seems <laughs> or you could find a community finding your tribe, so to speak, that's a lot of what we do here at the podcast. Ian you'll find that if you get embedded in an entrepreneurial community, you get involved in a mastermind a lot of times you know what was driving you to find a partner
1: and give away equity might be addressed by these
0: other measures. So something
1: to keep in mind. Awesome. Let's talk about the five different types of partnership styles.
0: It's a nice day for a white wedding.
1: It's a nice day to start again.
0: All right, Ian. The first style of partnership that I want to talk about is the marriage model of partnership. The marriage model of partnership is essentially a long-term commitment that you make with someone that you trust and say, hey, we are going to go do this thing together. I've heard it described as you know, you're know, you not necessarily looking for people that contribute X money or X time or X skill set. You're looking for people to go to war with. You're looking for people to address an enormous challenge in your life with. And call me conservative... But I'm going to get on my soapbox here a little bit and say that for an enormous portion of this audience, if you want to partner, the marriage model is the thing that you should consider. Because in the history of humanity, marriages have been the most fundamental, successful small business unit. And I think there's a reason for that. It's because as an entrepreneur, what you're about to do is so incredibly difficult. It really is. And It helps to be in the same tiny canoe, trying to get over the waves together with somebody else, to have somebody to rely on, to have somebody that has your back, to have somebody that you can trust to tell you the truth about how you can improve and what you need to do to face the incredible challenge that you're facing. Now, Ian, if you don't mind, I want to just speculate for a little bit before we get to the rest of the episode, like a sidebar, irresponsible speculation. Are you up for it? Sure. I think a lot of times what happens in the entrepreneurial space is that we take our cues from people that are much more successful than us. So in the entrepreneurial space, it might happen like this. You could think of it like relative wealth. So if you have like 10 or 20 times the relative wealth that the average person does, a style of partnership that might be based more on matters of convenience or contribution of certain resources can make a lot of sense. You see wealthy people doing this a lot. And what happens is people who want to become entrepreneurs, I think, look up to these people who have many multiples relative wealth that they do. And they say, well, I'm going to take my cues from those people. And I think that there's a wisdom in what the Y Combinator people are saying is like, look, you're starting from scratch. You're starting from zero. You have nothing. And your idea isn't worth anything, right? What you need to do is start with the basics. You need to get married if you want to do this, right? You need to have someone's back. You need to go to war together every day for years. That's what it takes to get off the ground as an entrepreneur. I was just replying to an email the other day from a listener who said, hey, I'm just getting started out. Like, What are the things that people just getting started out don't really understand about entrepreneurship? And the first thing I went to, Ian, is like, I think it's underappreciated how long it takes, right? This is a whole new career. We're not talking about five months, five blog articles, five ideas launched. We're talking about five years of work every day. And who are you going to do it with? That's the potential power of this marriage style relationship is that, hey, we're in this together. We're going to do something big and we're going to get over the challenge together. Now, all that said, we all know what happens when these things go wrong
1: real-life example of something like this in the non-technology space. You see this a lot with like dentists or doctors. They all have the idea that they want to own their own practice. and, And so they go into business together. And so you have a doctor's office that can accommodate a lot of different patients. And there's three different doctors there. And they see their individual patients. But they share resources. I think for this marriage model to work and to be successful, you have to be on the same trajectory as the other people. So in our case, Dan, we were on the trajectory of going from being in debt to broke to having a little bit of money. And we thought, like, this is a good thing to do together because we can really help each other to accomplish our dreams. And so what we did was we stood next to each other, put a string around my right foot and your left foot, and then we started walking forward. Yeah. And by the way, like, a lot of bad stuff happened along the way.
0: Yeah, there was a lot of scrambling, you know what I mean? It wasn't like, hey, Dan's good at this, so you do that, and Ian's only good at this, so he does. It was like, hey man, like, should I move to this apartment because I don't know if like that's strategic for the business and can I cover the rent? Does it doesn't make it? like we had those like level of everything's on the
1: table. Everything was on the table, but we did I think make that mistake in the beginning, which was like you're good at this, I'm good at that. And then now that we're, you know, almost 10 years into it, our roles have completely changed and we're different And we're good at different things. We understand each other's strengths and weaknesses. But in the end, you have a long-term vision for how you can both succeed. And I think that in marriages, you see this too. Like when people are having arguments, maybe they don't argue a lot. And they're kind of like blowing up their marriage or they're like willing to blow up their marriage over one argument. You have to look at this like a marathon. And those conversations are going to come around money. They're going to come around resources. They're going to come around projects, whatever it might be. So it's just something to keep in mind with this marriage model is that it's a very long-term proposition, and there can be tons of challenges, but it can also be, I think, very fruitful.
0: All right, let's move on to the second style of partnership that we've noticed. Again, not an exhaustive list, boss, man. Just one that's relevant to the communities that we're involved in. Number two is workhorses. This tends to be a peer-to-peer relationship, which is people that are of relative similar levels. And it's sort of like, a, you're good at this, I'm good at that, and let's partner up in order to do something. You could imagine, like for example, someone that's really good at marketing wanting to get together with someone that understands the operations and say, hey, these are equally important areas of the company. You're 50%. I'm 50%. Like You bring this to the table. I bring that to the table. Let's be workhorses together.
1: These can be very difficult because what often happens in these workhorse situations is someone realizes that the other workhorse is pulling a lot harder. <laughs> it often happens. and And what's interesting about the Marriage model is, you know, that happens a lot too in our relationship, Dan. Yep. I can be in a little bit of a low point where I'm not working so much and then you're working a lot and then it kind of flips. But we know in the long term, it's going to kind of work out. By the way, like that's part of that truth telling vehicle. Like I can remember
0: times when you came to me and you said, well, hey, man, you're working really hard, but you're not creating many results. And I was like, oh, I can't make up an excuse because he sees everything. Yeah.
1: (laughs) It does happen. But in these workhorse situations, your relationship is built on the fact that you guys are both workhorses. So it's really difficult when someone is the marketing arm and the other person's the operations arm and the marketing arm is creating all the results and value. And then they figure out that the operations isn't so important. Let me get back
0: to my soapbox theory, Ian, is that if you don't have a large degree of relative wealth or financial freedom... A lot of these workhorse relationships are contingent on limited resources like, hey, I'm going to work half of my day, or I'm going to work on the weekends and in the evenings. And that's part of where these things can break down is that if you're just getting something off the ground over a medium time frame, that sort of contribution can often not be that valuable. And that comes out in the wash, you
1: know? Yep. Now, where I see these workhorse relationships working very well is in like short sprints or in short timelines. So people getting together, deciding that they're going to work on a project for three years, and then hopefully sell the project or do whatever with it. Right? I see it working really well in those instances because it's fairly easy for visions and trajectories to align for short periods of time. It's much more difficult for long periods of time. So if you have a business and you say, hey, we're three people, we're going to get together. I'm marketing... Their operations, you know, the other person's product design. Our idea is to get this company off the ground and sell it within three years. I think it can work really well in that situation.
0: Sure, and you could even do three months. Why not a joint venture? This is a great way to like get to know somebody too, by actually risking time and resources together to do a project or to launch a product. So, workhorses, you know, is not all bad. Like plus and minuses to each one of these things. Don't let the lack of a big budget or technology skills get in the way of you having not only a beautiful website, but a powerful one that can get your product in the hands of your customers. That's where today's sponsor, Weebly.com, comes in. Weebly is the easiest way to create an incredible looking website, and you don't have to have technology skills. But more importantly, Weebly comes with a whole bunch of tools that help you sell your products, process payments manage your inventory, and create marketing campaigns that grow your brand. And because Weebly's mission is to turn people's great ideas into successful businesses, they've built an incredible support team. So if you have a question, just pick up the phone to talk to a customer success expert. There's no scripts, there's no robots, just a friendly human who can help you grow your business. That's right. Weebly.com is the quickest way to get your idea on the internet and to simplify your business's web presence. So if you've got a product idea and want to share it with the world, check out Weebly. You can have a beautiful, powerful online store running in a matter of hours. And because you listen to this podcast, you can visit weebly.com slash TMBA and get 15%. Off of your first purchase. So don't just build a beautiful website and don't spend a bunch of money on it. Build a successful online business and Weebly can help. Number three, partnership style, we'll call it parent child. And this can be a sort of a version of a mentorship. And it can happen when there's a large power differential. This is pretty typical because it can be the case that the child figure, the younger entrepreneur, can see the more experienced, wealthier entrepreneur as the ticket to acceleration in their business.
1: Yeah. It's like, I have an idea. This person has a lot of money or this person has a lot of resources. The parent looks at the child and says like, oh, I'd really like for this person to succeed. It's very easy for me to help them because I have so many resources. And then ultimately, they get together. I think that this can be a a huge win-win. But I think, again, it comes back to trajectory. Everybody has to make sure that they have the same vision for the future. So what if we succeed? What does that look like in 10 years? You know, Are you still going to be able to write me those checks as the parent? Here's another thing that often happens in these relationships. What if the child becomes more successful than the parent? Then what? How does the parent feel, right? Because Is the parent able to allow the child to become more successful than them? That's something that I've seen come up in these relationships. But in general, the power differential in this example between parent and child is very high. Let me tell you what I feel like the problem areas here can be is that when you're just
0: starting out as a child, you go to the parent and you say, hey, if you give me like 45 grand, which is nothing to you, that's going to like revolutionize my life. And we're going to be able to do these things together. There's this idea that kind of money will whitewash everything. And again, this is taking the cue from much larger organizations. If we're talking in relative wealth multiples of like millions, multi millions, tens of millions of dollars, yeah, like what's an extra million here or there between the equity holders? However, if we're talking at the scale of like you give me 40 grand or 150 grand, it's all of a sudden very, very different because money doesn't whitewash at that level of relative wealth. Say the child does really, really well and grows a multi-million dollar business and starts making a couple hundred grand a year. Now, all of a sudden, the parent wants to get paid back indefinitely, say, 50 grand a year. So now, all of a sudden, because of a good thing that cost the parent relatively little five, 10 years ago, they want to get paid in perpetuity for their, quote, good advice or whatever. And I think this idea of taking cues from those with high levels of relative wealth and bringing them down to basically just people trying to make a basic living and basic wealth for themselves personally can cause problems in partnerships. So you might ask yourself two questions. The first is, what does this look like if we succeed? And that's not hard. Just get out a napkin and figure out who's getting what money and how things change, what the power dynamic will be, what the money will look like. And the second thing would be is, you know, where are you taking your cues from? Are you looking to Silicon Valley VC investors? Are you thinking that someday there's just going to be this wash of money that comes over the business and solves all these problems? It generally doesn't work out that way. So I would ask yourself those two questions. All right, and we've got two more to go. The fourth partnership type we'll call the meddling prestige investor. That's complex. What does that mean? The meddling prestige investor is one where Essentially, an entrepreneur takes a great deal of money from an investor that is essentially the money partner and someone to give advice and connections from time to time. Sometimes the money partner just wants to be involved because the business is cool. And that can be a decent situation to be in. But the reality with these situations is advice is just nice. It's not someone there to be with you in the trenches to really... Help you execute on a day to day basis. And if you're thinking that this is the setup for your first business, but you have those fundamental concerns of skill set and execution, I would not depend on advice and connections are going to be what's going to get you there, right? Like advice can be spit out cost free by anybody, non falsifiably on any day of the week. The reality is, as an entrepreneur, you're going to have to come there for a thousand days plus, plus, plus. And your meddling prestige investor is not going to be
1: there with you. Yeah, there's a lot of places where you can get advice for free. And that's why a lot of times advice sucks because it is free. You can get this kind of advice from peers, from mentors, from masterminds, etc. And so when you're selling a portion of your business, when you're selling some equity in your business for that advice, you need to make sure that you set it up and structure it so that it will be valuable indefinitely for you. And so A lot of times these companies that do these types of deals, they have like board meetings. So once a quarter, everybody will get together, the investor will fly in or whatnot, and you'll sit down for a day and talk about the business. But the way I've seen it be successful is to have those kinds of structures in place. The
0: final partnership style we see is the fair weather friend. And this is what I see all the time. Like in my mind, they're sort of piled up like a junk heap in a junkyard. Like I can think of all these people who've partnered up over like, hey, let's take 20% of what I do and combine it with the 20% of what you do with no clear goals, but it's an opportunity right now and it's hot, you know? And again, if you've got resources that represent Multiples of the relative wealth in society and that don't reflect a big part of what's important to you. In other words, you don't depend on this working out. Then the fair weather friend thing can be a really interesting thing to do. You know, all of a sudden, hey, like let's just put this in a petri dish over here and see what happens. But if you're depending on the fair weather friend to get off the ground, it's going to come really quick to this question, which is who's bleeding for this? Right? Because it's going to take that to get your career as an entrepreneur off the ground. And the Fairweather Friend's only hanging around for when things are working out. Well, then they're not hanging around for much.
1: So Dan, the Fairweather Friend arrangement, I think, can work out. The ways in which I've seen it work out is two companies get together and say, hey, I have X resources, you have X resources, let's try and build something in this new space together. But a lot of times that'll spin off and turn into a successful company. But what you're talking about before is who's bleeding for this? I've seen it not work out more times than I've seen it work out, which is basically, we're going to put a little bit of resources towards this. You're going to put a little resources towards this, and this thing's never going to get off the ground. Because it's neither of ours main motivators. It's neither of ours main center for cash flow. Well, here's what's going to happen, Ian. The moment that this
0: arrangement comes even close to threatening how this person is making a living, it's over. It's gone. And the arrangement's going to be toxic. So again, coming back to my fundamental conservatism here is if you're just starting out, get married, commit to something, and step your way up this pyramid where if you've got a lot of extra resources, yeah, let's do a fair-weather friend deal on the side. But if it's like, hey, let's like do this arrangement and you're both resource depleted, I think this can often be a bad strategy. So when we go back and review, we look at the marriage model we look at workhorses, we look at parent-child. Those first three, Ian, marriage, workhorses, and parent-child, I believe are the models that can work for people that don't consider themselves to have gotten to a level where they're an entrepreneur for life. And then once you've stair-stepped yourself up to that level where you're like, I'm unemployable, this is sustainable, I'm growing and building companies for a lifetime, I think at that point you start looking at, Prestige investors, you start looking at Fairweather friends.
1: Yeah. And with the Fairweather friend, I think it's worth pointing out that somehow a lot of people start here. Imagine two people are in a job and they might be in different jobs. And then they come together and say, like, hey, let's start this company that makes uh, Windows. You know, I know a thing or two about Windows, right? And these projects almost never get off the ground because everybody's too busy with their day job, but everybody thinks that they're going to get together and thinks that they're going to put in the effort, but really they're making too much money at their day job, or they just had a kid, or whatever. This happens a lot with people that are just starting out as entrepreneurs. They want to work together with their friend, but no one is willing to put the resources in, the true resources that it takes to start a business. Partnerships are complicated, and these are just our perspectives.
0: We'd love to hear yours. Go check out the comment section at tropicalmba.com slash business partnerships, or drop us a voicemail using your smartphone or tropicalmba.com slash voicemail. So we still haven't answered Ryan's fundamental question, which is, regardless of how you're going to partner up, what are some strategies to find a
1: partner? Dan, I think, you know, as in the marriage model, it takes a long time to court someone, right? It takes, you got to go on a bunch of dates. You got to figure out if your trajectories truly do align. You got to ask each other some Real questions, do some real soul searching. I think that in this day and age, that could be done online, but I personally do that in person. And I don't really see any substitute for that. I found myself
0: thinking when you were saying that, Ian, do you need to be like friends with this person? I almost want to say, yeah, and some, because a few weeks ago, I was trying to describe entrepreneurial conversations to somebody who doesn't know entrepreneurs and keep coming back to this idea of it's so refreshing to speak with people who have immediate risk in the game with what they're talking about they're more receptive to feedback they're more receptive to honesty in other words you can't just sit there and spew your next political viewpoint that doesn't matter whether it's right or wrong like it actually matters what your sales figures are it actually matters how you're building your team it matters whether or not you're being misunderstood by your staff and so those conversations Become so valuable and intense. And that's why I love going to DC meetups because that's what it feels like when you're speaking with people. And that's what it's got to feel like when you're speaking with your partner. And if you feel like this disconnect, like, whoa, this person's kind of weird, or I don't like, we can't seem to sync up about reality here, you got a problem. And when you do sync up about reality, you may not have a deep friendship, but you have an incredible level of respect. And that's what it takes for these things to be powerful. On the other hand, that's where they can become a sinking ship. Because now all of a sudden, you've got two people that can't communicate, that can't respect each other, that can't solve problems together, and it becomes toxic to the company.
1: And by the way, when you get to that point, hopefully you do have an agreement in place, like a written document, a legal written document. Because you know a lot of people jump into these relationships they don't have anything written down. They really don't know how it's going to go. And then all of a sudden, there's a bunch of money sitting in a bank account. So, this is not Tinder. This is not Bumble. This is not Match.com. <laughs> you actually have a lot to lose when you get into these relationships, believe it or not. And a lot of them are arranged as if they were on Tinder or something like that. So, take it seriously, you know? Vet these people, spend a lot of time with these people, understand if your trajectories align. Take it as seriously as you would a life mate, because honestly, in some cases, it might be just as important. So the answer to Ryan's question then, I believe
0: is like most great questions, it's going to be the questions better than the answer, because the answer has something to do with finding your people and being involved and around their lives regularly, ongoing. If you can't do that geographically, geographically is the best way to do it. You see a lot of partnerships emerge from co-working and co-living. That's the number one source of partnerships is those two things, proximity, right? That's how people get married before those wonderful platforms you mentioned earlier, Ian, is you co-live, you're around people regularly and you figure out more complex nuances about how you can relate with each other. If you can't do it with a co-living or co-working situation, maybe what you can do is get more serious about a in-person conference or mastermind annual schedule where you're regularly getting yourself around people through travel. Because I just don't think there's any substitute for the bandwidth and the depth and the connection of in-person and regularity.
1: I agree with you 100%. And I think that you have to be in person to make a real connection and to make these kinds of relationships work. And look, like, even if you have to meet up with this person like six times a year, let's call it $1,000 every time, you know, hotel, airfare, or whatever. We're talking about $6,000 a year. You want to have a multi million dollar business? That's a great investment to get to know somebody to know if that kind of arrangement's going to work out. I would not be afraid of investing because you have to in any relationship. You have to invest on the front end to know if it's going to work out on the back end.
0: And so, Ryan's voicemail, I just want to end with one thing that stuck out to me. He said he, he's looking to find a business partner to help push him. Where he's lacking. And I just related to that because I thought to myself, you know, in terms of business skill sets, I'm lacking almost everywhere, Ian. There's not just one person who's going to help me all around with everywhere that I'm not good at. And so, Ryan, you're in really good company. You need help, and you do. Everybody needs help. You need a team, you need a mastermind, you need a mentor, you need a community around what you're doing. And if you do all those things first, you might find yourself in a powerful business partnership.
1: Thanks a lot, Ryan, for calling in. And if you do end up putting your product in the comments, uh, good chance you might find somebody that's on the same trajectory as you and is interested in partnering up. Thanks for the voicemail. And thanks
0: for joining us, boss man. This week, we'll be back as always next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. See you then.